Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade. The tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. Join the club, genius. Visit TastyTrade.com. Tasty Trade Inc. is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We start with some breaking news this morning. An about-face at OpenAI as the company brings back Sam Altman as its CEO and also names a new board of directors. Also, a bar just a bit too high. Shares of NVIDIA under pressure despite sales surging 200% from a year ago. We will tell you what's weighing on the stock this morning. Also, a developing story in the Middle East as Israel agrees to a temporary ceasefire and Hamas hostage release. Plus, the crowded skies. A near record amount of travelers expected to take to the air ahead of the Thanksgiving Day holiday. We're live at one of the busiest airports in the country with a live look. And then later in this show, speaking of the holidays, this year's Turkey Day feast expected to cost just a little less than last year. We asked one food economist if that trend is set to continue. It is Wednesday, November the 22nd, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. As always, we want to get you ready to start your day. We're going to kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with the S&P and the Nasdaq coming off their first down day in six. You can see a bit of a reversal this morning. The Dow looks like it would open up about 25 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq both fractionally in the green. We're also checking the bond market this morning, taking a look at the benchmark 10-year, seeing it come in at 4.39, going down a few basis points throughout the week, but pretty steady from what we've seen since that better-than-expected inflation report. We're also looking at the energy market this morning, taking a look at oil. As always, we start with WTI. That's the U.S. benchmark. You can see right now trading at basically 77 bucks a barrel, down about 1%. Brent crude at about 81.75, down almost 1%. All right, that's your morning money set up now. We're going to go to this morning's breaking news and a whirlwind week around Sam Altman and OpenAI. The company this morning announcement that Altman will return as its CEO. Our Arjun Kapal joins us now with the very latest on this still developing story. Arjun, good morning. Good morning, Frank. And what a roller coaster ride it has been. Sam Altman, as you said, will return as CEO of OpenAI. And the move follows huge pressure from employees and investors on the board that ousted him less than a week ago. So former Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor and former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers will join OpenAI's board. Taylor will hold the chair position. And interestingly, Adam DeAngelo, the CEO of Quora, and one of the members behind the board that actually ousted Altman will remain on that board. OpenAI said on X that they're still figuring out the details of all of this. Now, this has been a story of twists and turns. After Altman was ousted, Microsoft CEO Sachin Adele said Altman and OpenAI co-founder Greg Brockman would join Microsoft to form a new AI lab. Now, remember, Microsoft, of course, is one of the biggest OpenAI backers. Hundreds of employees, meanwhile, signed a letter after that saying that if the board didn't resign and bring Altman back, the overwhelming majority would move to work with him at Microsoft. On X, Altman said, quote, I love OpenAI and everything I've done over the past few years has been in service of keeping this team and its mission 
together. He added that he's looking forward to building on a strong partnership with Microsoft. OpenAI's major investors, including Microsoft, of course, pushed to get Altman back as CEO behind the scenes. Sachin Nadella hailed Altman's return, calling it, quote, a first essential step on a path to more stable, well-informed and effective governance. Now, an interesting board, it is an interesting board. Summers, of course, with connection to the government and regulators. Taylor, the former co-CEO of Salesforce, a public company. And OpenAI, I think, trying to show here it's got adults in the room as it looks to show it now has tighter governance. And Microsoft shares this morning, interestingly, slightly higher in pre-market and what seems like a positive outcome, Frank, for the tech giant. Yeah, you're mentioning Microsoft's up in the pre-market right now. It was up yesterday when we thought that Sam Altman and Brockman were going to join Microsoft. Give us a sense. With all these twists and turns, how's this entire what we'll call an episode, how's it being viewed by investors? A win-win, I think, Frank, quite, quite frankly. If, if Altman worked at Microsoft, the company would have a leading AI figure as part of its tech push. Altman could have recruited many of those who work with him over at OpenAI. But this is really, I think, the best outcome for Microsoft. Nadella was a big force behind reinstating Altman back at OpenAI. And I think that underscores Nadella and Microsoft's own influence and power. And that could give the CEO more influence over the future direction of OpenAI. But also remember, OpenAI is a startup. It can move fast and nimbly, and it needs to, especially with so much competition in the space from the likes of Google and Amazon, Cohere uh, and Anthropic as well. And often what we see is when these big giants swallow up startups, it's harder for them internally in the big company to innovate uh, and things get slower. So I think this is the best outcome. It's better for Microsoft that OpenAI stays separate with Sam Altman at the helm. uh, And that's really the outcome Nadella got, Frank. All right. So we do have a couple loose ends here. So as you mentioned, um, some board shakeup here. Also, as part of this news, we heard that OpenAI was actually reaching out to Anthropic about a merger. So just a lot of twists and turns. Give us a sense. Are there any loose ends that we expect to get wrapped up in the near term? Are there some that are going to play out longer? Yeah, so we haven't got a news of, of any kind of merger at this point as well. What I expect from here is really a much closer working relationship between Microsoft and, and OpenAI. Look, OpenAI really is going to be key to, to how Microsoft wants to stay ahead in uh, amongst the cloud players when it comes to, to its AI applications as it faces stiff competition from Amazon and from Google and others. So I expect you to see a lot more uh, open public uh, conversations uh, as well as comments between Altman and Nadella as the two work closer together at this point uh, as well. I think what you will see as well is increasing uh, competition in the space. Um, this is a very uh, tough industry right now. It's a very competitive industry and Microsoft clearly going to want to show that with OpenAI it can stay ahead, Frank. All right, Arjun Kapal, live in London. Arjun, great to see you as always. Enjoy the holiday. All right, we are also following some breaking news this morning out of the Middle East. Israel and Hamas agreeing on a deal involving a temporary ceasefire in the six-week war in exchange for hostages. NBC's Bree Jackson live in Washington with the very latest. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Frank. So the deal comes after weeks of closely guarded negotiations in Qatar, which, along with the U.S. and Egypt, has acted as a broker between the two sides. Deal reached to secure the freedom of 50 hostages, mostly women and children, held captive by Hamas, answering weeks of prayers of those desperately waiting for their return. And just to have a sliver of hope and just a break already, just a break. 
This comes after more than a month of intense talks. In a statement, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said he spoke with President Biden and asked for his intervention in hostage negotiations. President Biden thanked the leaders of Qatar and Egypt for their critical partnership in reaching this deal. From the very beginning, uh, the administration recognized that, number one, Qatar would be the venue through which you could have a negotiation uh, to reach out to Hamas and try to secure the release of some of these hostages. Under the agreement, Israeli officials say there will be a four-day pause in fighting to allow for the hostage prisoner exchanges to take place. There is also an option to extend the ceasefire for extra days in return for 10 hostages a day. In addition, more fuel trucks and aid will be allowed to enter Gaza. The pause itself is also terrific news in terms of the capacity to improve the humanitarian circumstance uh, in Gaza. An agonizing wait coming to an end for some hostages, but still no end in sight to the war. And a senior Biden administration official says three Americans could be part of the first group of hostages released, two adults and a three-year-old girl named Abigail. Frank. So, Bree, you mentioned these were some very closely watched uh, negotiations in Qatar. What were some of the sticking points of this agreement? So there were several, including Israel's requirement that Hamas provide IDs and proof of life for the hostages and Hamas's demand that fuel be allowed into Gaza. All right. NBC's Bree Jackson live in D.C. Bree, great reporting as always. Great to see you. Enjoy the holiday. All right. We got a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, Despite tech's fall comeback, where our next guest says she's eyeing mid-cap and value stocks for the year ahead. Plus, NVIDIA sales skyrocketing 200% from a year ago. So why are shares down ahead of the open and then later flying the crowded skies? We speak with a few brave flyers at Chicago's O'Hare International on what's set to be one of the busiest travel days of the entire year. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade. Unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim Desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Now is the time to accelerate innovation. T-Mobile for Business is powering Formula One Las Vegas Grand Prix operations and epic fan experiences with secure, reliable 5G connectivity. Because an event this big and this fast deserves a network that can set the pace. See what our 5G advanced network solutions can do for your business at T-Mobile.com slash now. View 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. U.S. equities, they've been riding high in recent weeks. Despite yesterday's downward blip, the S&P 500 up 8.2 percent so far this month, which would be its biggest monthly increase since July of last year. The gains coming as hopes grow. The Fed is done hiking rates. The interest rate futures market now pricing in 90 basis points of cuts throughout 2024. Also, a more than 25 percent chance the Fed begins as soon as March. Let's get more insight on from Nancy Curtin, Chief Investment Officer at Alti Global, a firm with $65 billion in assets under management. Nancy, good morning. Great to have you here. Yeah, good morning, Frank. 
All right. So we did again, we saw that bit of a blip yesterday, but the markets have been riding a bit of a rally over the last few weeks. How much of that is on the confidence in the market that the Fed's done raising rates? You know, a couple of things. I mean, we saw the Fed minutes last night. Nothing new there. You know, proceed carefully, uh, you know, the totality of the data. But I think what's important, Frank, is the Fed has made it pretty clear uh, that their confidence about getting to that 2% inflation target uh, will increase if three things happen. If growth in the United States moderate from that torrid pace uh, in the third quarter, 4.9%, uh, if the labor market begins begins to cool uh, and if inflation uh, continues to move decisively lower. Uh, and I'd say, Frank, we've had good news on all three of those uh, over the last three weeks. That's what explains what's been going on in the markets, obviously responding uh, to that better news, that Fed checklist uh, beginning to move in the right direction. So, you know, we do think uh, the Fed is done here unless inflation or growth accelerate again. We don't okay. see it. Uh, we do think the Fed's done. And I think the uh, the uh, the mantra may be higher for maybe not so much longer. All right. So it sounds like you think uh, the fourth quarter GDP number when it comes out is going to have a lot of impact on the Fed and also possibly the markets. I want to talk to you about something else having a big impact on the markets. The Magnificent Seven. We're talking stocks like Google and, of course, NVIDIA, which reported earnings yesterday. Those earnings, uh, the company, I should say, under a bit of pressure, but it was really on soft guidance. It wasn't because anything fundamentally is wrong with their business. How do you think this report and the, and the response that we're seeing, how does that shape your view of mega cap tech? Oh, goodness gracious, Frank. Uh, that was a blowout report, right? It came in at 18 billion versus 16 expected, over 200% increase. Uh, and look, there's some concerns around guidance in the fourth quarter, which is why the stock came off a bit. But let's just remember, there's a trillion dollars invested in data centers around the world, and they all need some uh, upgrading of GPUs. And as far as I can see it, uh, NVIDIA's in pole position. So uh, look, some softness on China these exports, but that was a very, very good number last night. And we continue to think, which is why we're passively exposing the United States, uh, you know, you can't write off the Magnificent Seven. Having said that, we do think the other parts of the market, which trade at 14 times earnings, the other 493, uh, represent some pretty decent value. Yeah, a lot of people talking about those other 493 and the valuation there. Something else I want to talk about, um, the bond market. So you're forecasting a mild recession next year, and you say investors should lock in longer-term bonds. You're actually looking at the 10-year with a, uh, a yield right now of 4.4%. So give us a sense. Why would I do 4.4% when I can go to the two-year and get that 4.9%? Why do I want to lock in that longer duration right now? So good question. First of all, we think there will be a softest landing, not a mild recession. But hey, it's all a bit nuanced here and, and no one knows for sure. Uh, but I would say uh, with respect to bond yields, if you can lock in and we've been lengthening duration here close to 5 percent for seven to 10 years, that's pretty good, Frank, because remember, if the Fed cuts interest rates next year, which is what we expect, there's going to be reinvestment risk at the short end. And that, you know, sort of 5.7 trillion uh, parked and money market funds is going to go somewhere uh, if they're going to be facing uh, lower interest rates. So we think the length and duration, we want to get ahead of that. Uh, but we also think, you know, if the Fed is successful in bringing down inflation, it could also be good for equity markets as well. All right, Nancy Kurt, I want to correct myself. Soft landing to mild recession. That's your base case for 2024. <laughs> um, but you're saying lock in those longer yeah. duration bonds. Great to see you. Thank you for coming on. Have a great holiday.
Thanks so much, Frank. Good holiday. Take All care. Right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, investors not entertained by a Thursday blockbuster earnings beat from NVIDIA. We're going to tell you what's weighing on the stock this morning and where our next guest says he's still bullish with his target for this company. The full story coming up after this. Schwab Trading is now powered by Ameritrade to give you a new, elevated trading experience tailor-made for trader minds. Go deeper with Thinkorswim, the powerful, award-winning trading platforms now at Schwab. Unlock support from the Trade Desk, our team of passionate traders who live and breathe trading like you do. And sharpen your skills with an expanding library of online education crafted just for traders. All designed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Shares of NVIDIA under some pressure despite a third straight blowout quarter. Earnings coming in 20% above consensus with revenue beating expectations by almost $2 billion and tripling compared to a year ago. The one blemish, the one blemish in this report, it really appears to be guidance. NVIDIA expects sales in China to decline significantly in the fourth quarter, but they add that weakness will be offset by strong growth in other regions. Let's talk much more about this with Angelo Zeno, Senior Equity Analyst at CFR, CFRA Research. Angelo, good morning. Great to have you here. Morning. Thanks, Brad. All right, give us your big takeaway from this report, and what's your rating and price target? Did it change after this report? Yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, listen, the only blemish really kind of on this call was China, in our view. Actually, the guidance was, was pretty good, $20 billion. Um, in terms of revenue for that January quarter. The January quarter will probably be the peak in terms of revenue growth trajectory here. Revenue will uh, decelerate as we kind of progress through calendar 2024. But nonetheless, I mean, you kind of have to um, be pretty happy with the results here. I mean, both on the top line as well on the gross margin side, which I think is being a little bit uh, overlooked, which where they posted about a 75% margin on that side of things. So, you know, our view here is, yeah, we kept our 12-month target price at $1,600, nudged our estimates up a little bit. But the sustainability of demand is clearly going to be the question mark as we progress through calendar 2024. All right, your price target is $600, about a 20% upside. By the way, the streets is 663 So you're a little less bullish than you, your peers. Why are you less bullish? What are you seeing that other people are not seeing? Well, listen, I think it's one of those things where you have to kind of figure out what the right multiple is here for this stock. And in our view, um, the multiples are compressing for a reason. It is because of the fact that growth rates will decelerate as we go through the year. We're looking for more of a sustainable 15 to 20% long-term growth rate for NVIDIA um, as we kind of go through calendar 24 and and thereafter. So, um, you know, when we kind of think about kind of where the multiple has historically been relative to where it should be now, given the size of this company now, we just kind of think okay. it's more justified to have a lower multiple, which is why we use the 28 PE, which is at the lower end, Got it. end of their historical range. I want to talk a little bit more about that guidance again uh, due to restrictions. They expect uh, business to be softer in China, but they really went out their way to emphasize they think that growth will be made up by other regions. Or Do you think investors may be overreacting to that guidance? Not necessarily. I mean, listen, I, I think as far as the China story is concerned, we do believe that um, they're eventually going to get back into China. It is 20 to 25 percent of their data center business. There are some new chips that they're looking to roll out in China, look to get approval on. Um, we think if that does come back, that will help kind of support demand trajectory again into the April, July quarter. So we do think um, there is kind of a silver lining in terms of 
um, China here as we kind of look in the next couple of quarters. But yeah, I mean, um, you know, there's right now there is enough demand um, to meet kind of the expectations as we see um, okay. over the next couple of quarters. Give me your, your long term outlook when it comes to NVIDIA. A lot of times we talk about their moat when it comes to AI chips. Um, how much longer do you think they're going to have that moat? And again, I want to go back to that gross margin number. Why do you think that's so important? Why do you think investors need to pay attention? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I think when we kind of think about, you know, AI, we do think it is kind of a massive, uh, you know, it, it will help them significantly expand their total addressable market, not only on the chipset side of things within data centers. So you're talking not only GPUs, CPUs are going to be a huge part of that business. Um, next next year. And Finaban, some of the numbers that they throw out there north of $10 billion annual run rate, um, also kind of supporting the growth rate there, but also kind of the addressable market expansion on the device side of things um, outside of um, um, data centers. So across o- autonomous cars and what have you. And, you know, as far as kind of the, um, you know, the, the margin side of things, that is really showing you kind of the pricing power this company has as you continue to see the, the volume upside. And when you kind of look at their pipeline going into 2024 with the H200 potentially Blackwell in the second half of next year, there's some very good visibility okay. going into Cal 24. All right, Angelo Zeno, uh, price target, $600 per share for NVIDIA, uh, still a buy rating on the company. Thank you for being here. Enjoy the holiday. Great. Thanks, Ben. All right, as we had a break, we get to check on a few of this morning's big money movers. We're going to start with shares of Jack in the Box. They're pulling back after missing estimates for the fourth quarter and issuing weaker than expected for your guidance. Total revenue falling by 7.5% and same-store sales at, at its Del Taco restaurants. It dipped due to changes in transactions and menu items. Shares of Jack in the Box down just about 4%. Shares of Guess, they're plummeting on disappointing third-quarter earnings and revenue due to softness in its direct-to-consumer businesses. The retailer also offering a dim outlook, forecasting revenue growth between 4 and 6% as it deals with broader macro challenges. Shares of Guess this morning down more than 14%. And shares of Urban Outfitters going out of style despite logging record third quarter sales. That 9% increase in revenue helping to boost a 120% increase in EPS driven by strong demand in its free people and anthropology brands. Those shares right now down almost 6%. Much more Worldwide Exchange back in a minute. It is 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on back, on deck. Back at OpenAI, Sam Altman returning to lead the company less than a week after being ousted by the board and subsequent turmoil among insiders. Severe weather across parts of the U.S. just really throwing a wrench into Thanksgiving travel as a record number of people prepare to take to the skies and the roads for the holiday. And retailers bracing for what could be a record Black Friday and the latest signal around the health of the consumer. It's Wednesday, November the 22nd, 2023. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. As always, we're going to get you ready for your day. We're going to pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures after the S&P and the Nasdaq. They snapped their five-day win streaks. Take a look right now. You can see futures are in the green across the board. The Dow actually moving higher since we started the show, looking like it would open up just about 35, almost 40 points higher in the pre-market. All right. Right now, we're also looking at the bond market this morning. As always, we start with the benchmark tenure. We're seeing that yield at 4.39, pretty much the same level we've seen it at since that better than expected inflation report. And we also want to talk about energy, specifically oil right now, especially During this holiday week, as so many people are hitting the roads, we're going to talk about gas in just a minute. But right now, specifically oil, WTI crude 
The U.S. benchmark trading just above 77 bucks a barrel, down 1%. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, almost at 82 bucks a barrel, also down nearly 1%. That's your morning money set up right now. We want to get to this morning's top story and some breaking news. OpenAI says Sam Altman will return as its CEO less than a week after he was fired by the board of directors. The creator of ChatGPT says, along with the agreement in principle to bring Altman back as OpenAI CEO, the company's also forming a new board of directors. So take a look. This is this part of the new board. This new board, which will initially include former Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor as chairman, as well as Larry Summers and Adam D'Angelo. These are three of these new board members. In a post on X, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella says he's encouraged by the changes to the OpenAI board. He added he believes this is a first and essential step on a path to a more stable, well-informed and effective governance for this company. As part of the shakeup, the board and Altman's team have also reportedly agreed to conduct an independent investigation into his conduct and the board's decision to fire him. No comment from OpenAI on the investigation first reported by The Wall Street Journal. All right. In another post on X, Sam Altman says, quote, with the new board and with Satya's support, I'm looking forward to returning to OpenAI and building our strong partnership with Microsoft. We're checking on shares of Microsoft this morning. You can see they're up just over a half a percent. All right, when it turns to the holiday travel right now, we're just one day away from Thanksgiving, and that means turkey dinners, Black Friday deals, and as I said, a whole lot of travel, all of which they have a big impact on consumers and the bottom line of all everyday Americans. This morning, we're covering nearly every angle of the story. Our Phil LeBeau is with some very brave flyers at O'Hare International Airport in Chicago. Veronica Nye is the senior economist at the American Farm Bureau Federation with some good news for those still waiting to pick up their holiday bird. And former Toys R Us CEO Gerald Storage has the insight on all things retail. But we're going to start off with what's set to be a near record-breaking day for travel and our Phil LeBeau, live at Chicago O'Hare Airport. Phil, good morning. What are you seeing out there? Uh, Frank, it's quiet right now, but... Look, it's not even 5 a.m. here in Chicago, so it's just starting to pick up here at O'Hare Airport. And when it does pick up here and at other airports around the country, it's going to be a very busy day. Today, 2.7 million people are expected to fly. We'll have even more flying on Sunday. That will be the busiest day of the Thanksgiving travel period with 2.9 million people flying. A total of 30 million when you look at the 12 days before Thanksgiving all the way in through next Tuesday after Thanksgiving because people are spreading out their travel even more. And the airlines, the TSA, the airports, they're all ready for this. We have seen a gradual increase, but a steady increase in the number of people who have been flying, who have been screened by the TSA. In fact, look where we are right now. We're above pre-pandemic levels, 2.34 million average. That's the average daily. You're going to see even more than that today. Sunday, Monday will also be a very busy day. So as you take a look at the airline stocks, let's talk about Delta, United, and American. Keep in mind that all of these airlines have been working with the FAA to make sure that they do not have delays once the people are on the plane and the crews are set and they're ready to take off. In fact, the FAA is opening up additional airspace routes over the ocean on the East Coast so that things could should not be as congested as they have been in the past. And also, as you take a look at what we call the domestic travelers or airlines, the low-cost airlines included in, in this as well, uh, when you're looking at Spirit, uh, the average fare, Frank, is lower this year than it was last year by $23, according to the fare tracking website Hopper. So people are getting a slightly better deal. 
in terms of flying this year, how much the average round-trip ticket is compared to last year. Frank? So, slightly better deal. That's certainly good news. Uh, O'Hare is famously known for its congestion during the holiday season. I've been there many times myself, Bill. Um, with some of the bad weather we're seeing around the country, how's that expected to impact people trying to get to their holiday destination? Not much. Not much. It's pretty limited. The, the bad weather you're seeing is really going to have more of an impact for people who are driving on the East Coast, especially in the Northeast. But in terms of the airlines, I just checked with FlightAware. The number of cancellations and delays, relatively small. Now, that's going to pick up a little bit throughout the day, but this is nothing compared to what we have seen during some holiday travel periods. Yeah, absolutely. O'Hare, known for those incredibly long lines. Phil, enjoy the holiday. Great to see you. Thank you very much. You well, too. you can't travel anywhere by air or by land without some fuel in your tank. And this Thanksgiving, Americans, they're getting a break at the gas pump. The national average for regular unleaded is currently 3.28 a gallon. That's according to AAA. That's down from 3.66 a year ago. It's also the lowest gas has been at Thanksgiving since 2020, when, of course, fewer people were venturing out during the pandemic. Let's bring in Denton Sinkingrana, Chief Oil Analyst at OPIS. Denton, good morning. Thanks for being here. Morning, Frank. How are you? All right. So give us a sense. Um, we're seeing the lowest gas since Thanksgiving of 2020, when, again, people weren't really driving. How much longer are we going to see these lower gas prices last? Can they last us throughout the entire holidays? I think they can. I mean, we're on a close to 60-day streak of lower prices. I think that's going to continue at least through the holiday and probably even through the end of the year. As refinery maintenance starts to wrap up, you're going to see more gasoline, even more gasoline coming to market. So we should be in pretty good shape as we get through the rest of 2023. All right, so we talked a lot about the stretch consumer here on the show and a lot of shows here on CNBC. Gas prices are one thing that can weigh on consumers. When we see them get up to like $5 a gallon, it really impacts the, the wallets and the pocketbooks of a lot of people. Sure. Um, we're hearing about some possible OPEC cuts. How could that potentially impact this gas market? Right, and, and right now, uh, kind of the, the main prediction is that they're going to just roll over what they're currently doing. If they do cut, there's going to be probably a little bit of a pop in oil markets, obviously, but I don't think it'll have too much of an impact on gasoline. It's like I said before, that uh, refineries are coming back out of maintenance. Uh, they're going to bring more gasoline to market. And there's a little bit of a mismatch in, in the crude oil that they are running in the fact that right this time of year, you want to be running crude oils that give you more distillate, more diesel, more heating oil for the heating season. But the crudes we're getting are really light, really sweet, and give you actually a lot, of, lot more gasoline than you probably actually want as a refiner. All right. So again, three twenty-eight a gallon right now, lowest price for gas we've seen since Thanksgiving of 2020 or for Thanksgiving since 2020. <laughs> what direction are gas prices going in general? You said we're going to see these prices for the rest of the holiday season. But in general, what are you seeing? Yeah, I think we're and it's a seasonality play like this time of year. Gasoline formulation is a little bit easier to make, a little bit cheaper to make. Demand is usually down this time of year, despite the Thanksgiving holiday. I think, honestly, by the end of the year, we're probably getting close to a $3 average uh, than we are going back towards 350 We could save that for the springtime. There we go. Denton Sinkingrana, great to see you. Enjoy the holiday. Thank you for that insight and the good news. Let us not often we get to give some plain good news. Gas prices That's right. appear to be getting cheaper. Happy right. Thanksgiving. Thank Happy you. Happy Thanksgiving to you. From fuel costs to food prices, it's not just relief at the pump, but also at the supermarket checkout all across the country. Joining me now is Veronica Nye, American Farm Bureau Federation Senior Economist, with some more good news, a cheaper Thanksgiving this year, Veronica. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thank you. Indeed, we're about four and a half percent down in our survey of Thanksgiving uh, meal costs this year relative to last year. So we'll continue that trend of prices are just a little bit better. All right. So one of the, the key factors for this cheaper 
or less expensive, I should say, Thanksgiving. We don't call it cheap. It's Thanksgiving. Um, <laughs> our turkey price is going down uh, over 5%, 5.5%. Um, give us a sense. What's creating that situation? And, and give us a read for the rest of the holidays, because people want to enjoy turkeys and hams and things for the rest of the holidays. Are just generally, are those meat prices going to be down for the entire holiday season? We want them to enjoy uh, those meat and other side dishes as well. Uh, so this year we had fewer cases of high path avian influenza, which really impacted the turkey flock back in 2022. So, um, you know, usually when we think about turkeys, uh, we're thinking about going to the grocery stores today, but those birds were actually uh, hatched and grown this spring and summer. So there's fewer cases of, of bird flu really uh, helping at prices. Uh, so certainly as we think about moving through the rest of the holiday season, I think you can continue to enjoy uh, slightly lower prices uh, on those uh, food items that, that grace all of our tables. So I have talked about my favorite part of Thanksgiving personally. You know, turkey's fine, stuffing's fine, but I like dessert. So I'm looking at the prices for pumpkin pie mix. That's actually up. Sweet potatoes, I love sweet potato pie, up very slightly. Why are these things getting more expensive as we see other things getting cheaper? Well, any farmer will tell you that Mother Nature is a vital but terrible business partner. And so uh, actually canning pumpkin, uh, the area of the country where that's grown, um, had a few production glitches this year. They had a little rain when they shouldn't have. Um, and so we saw a slight decrease in some canning pumpkin production. So you're seeing that uh, uh, pumpkin pie filling be a little bit more expensive. But of course, it's not just the pumpkin pie, right? It's the pie crust and the whipping cream to, to make the topping. Um, and when you combine all three of those items, the actual cost for that pumpkin pie and for that sweet potato pie is down a little bit this year compared to last year. All right. I think everybody's very thankful for a less expensive Thanksgiving dinner. Veronica Knight, great to see you. Thank you very much. And you, you enjoy the holiday. You as well. Thank you. All right. We're not done with the holiday conversation just yet. We're going to bring in former Toys R Us CEO and Target Vice Chairman Jerry Storch ahead of a highly anticipated Black Friday and the warning signals that he's seeing around the consumer. We've got much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We're just days away from the busiest shopping period of the year with the National Retail Federation estimating 19% of annual retail sales will occur between Black Friday and Christmas. The NRF also predicting 74% of shoppers were open their wallets this week. That's the highest number since 2017. Joining me now with his expectations, Storch Advisor CEO Jerry Storch. He's also the former CEO of Toys R Us and a former vice chair of Target. Jerry, happy holidays. Great to have you here. Great to be here. All right, so Jerry, we're hearing a lot of forecasts. It's going to be, you know, the best holiday season since before the pandemic. A lot of people are very optimistic, but I know you're coming here to play the Grinch. What are you seeing? What's your outlook? Well, I, I, let me give you some numbers. I want to be realistic here. Uh, what we're seeing is that the consumer is going to have a bit of a hangover from last holiday season. And so what happened is during the pandemic, consumer had a lot of money and they spent it. So sales were really high. Now, as things normalize somewhat, the comparisons aren't very good. And retailers, you know, judge themselves on same store sales, how they're doing this year versus last year at the same period. So how does holiday period this year compare to last? We got the, the third quarter numbers. Most retailers reported in the last two weeks, and the numbers were mostly negative. So Best Buy was down 7%, Lowe's down 7%, Nordstrom down 7%, Macy's down 7%, Kohl's down 5.5%, Target down 5%, Home Depot down 3.5%. So these are negative numbers. And retail sales for October 
we're up only, you know, 3% in total, 1.6% if you look at just core retailer. That is things that you buy, not services, things that you might buy for Christmas. And inflation's still running 3% year over year, so an inflation-adjusted basis, sales are actually negative. Not only that, but most of the retailers who reported <laughs> said they're not seeing great numbers in November. So holiday season's already started, and the numbers aren't happening yet. So I hate to say it, but I think we're going to eke out a small gain here, but it's actually be one of the slower holiday season okay. when you look at it year over year Jerry, that we've had in a very long time. Jerry, I don't know, man. You have a lot of conviction and enthusiasm. I don't think you hate to say it. I think you're just coming to us with the facts, not the feelings. I want to go back right. to that. The way it is. There yep. you go. I want to go back to that October retail report. So as you point out, overall, those core retail sales numbers, they were up, but you're really pointing to a double digit decline in furniture sales, also decline in department stores. Why are those two things so important when we see overall core retail sales up? Well, again, retailers were up, but not by much. But you saw furniture, for example, was down almost 12%. What's going on? Look, we know interest rates are rising. That's a very interest-sensitive category. Also, building materials were down 6%. We saw bad numbers out of lows just this week. Why? Because, again, we've got issues in the housing market. We all know that. And again, that is driven by the rising interest rates and the, the inflation that we've seen in housing prices and the fact that consumers so squeezed. So none of this is a surprise. It's where the consumer is right now. Now, if things will normalize, maybe next year we can have different numbers and start putting the pandemic in the rearview mirror, but not yet. Now, people are still going out to eat. They're still buying concert tickets. They're still flying a lot. But most of the vaunted services increase we're hearing, where consumers are spending more on services, is actually on rent and on health care, again, pent up from the pandemic, not on discretionary items. So okay. when it comes to clothing, like department stores, don't expect it to be good this year. All right. Understood. But it can't all be doom and gloom, Jerry. There has to be certainly certain parts of retail that you expect to, to have some better than expected performance or better performance than last year. Are there any areas that you see as a bright spot? Great point. Necessities are still doing great. Again, during the pandemic, groceries sold well. Now we're seeing, continuing to see sustained growth out of Walmart. And so they were positive. They're one of the few retailers that were for the third quarter. TJX, again, a value-based retailer, did very well again, and I expect them to continue to do well. Dix did better. They had reported very bad results, if you remember, for the second quarter. Their third quarter numbers were much better and, again, in positive territory. So people you know, have a little time. They're going out and they're, they're doing activities with sporting goods activities. And uh, Costco continues to be a strong performer. So value retailers, by and large, are going to continue to do great. All right. What about electronics? I don't know if you're, if you're on Instagram, Jerry. I'll put on my Instagram. I actually got a birthday present, a PlayStation 5. I was very excited about it. Let's talk electronics, video games, computers, and also toys. Of course, the holiday gift-giving season's yeah. coming up. What's your outlook for those? Well, we already know electronics is not good. And the numbers were poor in the retail sales report. Best Buy was down seven and said it was going to be slow for the rest of the year. They did, by the way, you're right. They said video games were one of the categories that was up. So there, there is some strength. But when you look at some of the core appliances and electronics, computers, things like that, they have not been doing well. Toys did fantastic during the pandemic. And now, they've, again, they've got that hangover. So, you know, they're, they're not doing as well this year at all. In fact, they're negative for the year. And I expect that to continue. When kids were home and parents were home, they spent on toys like crazy. I mean, wildly, lots of toy sales. But now we're up against those numbers, and it's not going to look good. When we get to next year, we'll have a more level playing field, and we'll see how it is. But I would not expect it to be a good holiday season when you look at it year on year, which is how everyone okay. talks about it. Fair point. Jerry Storch forecasting a soft holiday season. Great to have you here. I know you're a little bit of a Grinch. Enjoy the holiday season. Good to see you. <laughs>
All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus the AI-centric stock high on our next guest shopping list that's up more than 150% this year. We're going to give you that name, our mystery chart that's coming up next. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with the breaking news of this morning. Sam Altman is back as the CEO of OpenAI, following overwhelming calls from employees and investors for the board to reinstate him. Former Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor and former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers will also join the OpenAI board. Israel and Hamas reaching a deal to release 50 hostages in Gaza in exchange for Palestinian prisoners and a four-day halt to the fighting in Gaza. The hostages will be released in small batches as Israel and Hamas test the potential of this deal. Shares of NVIDIA, they're under pressure this morning after the company warned of significant sales declines in China. This despite another blowout quarter with revenue growing by more than 200 percent year over year. Bloomberg reporting China is putting Country Garden on a draft list of developers eligible for financing support. The reported move marks a shift by Beijing to help some of that country's most distressed builders. Bloomberg also reporting City is in talks to add a new direct lending strategy to his existing leverage finance business next year, which could also include teaming up with outside partners for loans. And just ahead of Thanksgiving, Warren Buffett donating $870 million worth of Berkshire Hathaway stock to four family foundations. Buffett made similar donations ahead of the holiday last year. All right, here's what to watch today. Several pieces of economic data on tap this morning, including weekly mortgage apps, initial jobless claims and durable goods. We also get the final look at November consumer sentiment figures. We also get deer results ahead of the open this morning. And don't forget, U.S. equity markets, they are closed tomorrow for the Thanksgiving holiday. All right, as we gear up for the trading day ahead, let's get one more check of futures this morning. Taking a look right now, you can see they are in the green across the board. The Dow actually hitting its highs of this morning. The S&P and the Nasdaq now firmly in the green. For much more, let's bring in Tiffany McGee, CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors, also a CNBC contributor. Tiffany, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. Great to be here. All right. So we saw a bit of a blip in the market rally yesterday, but right now we're seeing futures higher. What are you expecting from today? Of course, the day before holiday. So uh, not just today, um, you know, we, we think we really see this S&P 500 rally continuing through the end of the year. Uh, and the reason why is that, uh, you know, bull markets and, and, and rallies typically kind of end with, um, you know, euphoria and high conviction. And, you know, we're really not seeing that when you kind of strip out, strip out tech from the S&P 500, really not seeing that. Instead, what we're seeing is, especially from institutional investors, these big uh, investors like pensions, we're seeing lower, lower allocations to equities. Um, and we're really, uh, we're actually seeing um, I, I, the, the opposite of, um, of euphoria and high conviction in the equity markets, right? So, you know, pension allocations um, around or to, to equities are around 20-year lows. We're seeing them kind of uh, really invest um, in uh, index strategies, right? Kind of hugging those beta strategies, um, and they're all, they've also been taking advantage of the higher short-term uh, yields um, in, in in cash and fixed income in those asset classes. All right. So, since you're not seeing that euphoria right now, give us a sense of how you're viewing the markets. What's your wex word of the day? My work, my WEX word of the day is opening. So there are openings for investors to get on board with uh, the equity rally, which we think will continue uh, through, at least through the end of the year. 
All right, so you're seeing some openings. Give us a sense. We just showed a mystery chart a short time ago. It's one of your picks of the day. It's C3 AI. We've been talking a lot about AI today with Sam Altman returning to the open AI yeah. board. Um, why is right now a good time to buy C3 AI, those shares up, uh, over 150% year to date? Well, what a difference time makes, right? So I plan to come on the show and really talk about uh, um, what, what invest, how investors can invest in AI as the uh, chat GPT and Microsoft dust settles. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we like, like most investors, really like AI play long term. And so when it comes to C3 AI, um, you know, technically what they do is they kind of offer this, this turnkey AI enterprise solutions for businesses across uh, multiple industries. But when we look from like a pricing perspective um, and an opportunity perspective, it's up over 156% year to date, but it's not even close to its 52 week high. Um, and it took a little dip uh, in, uh, a few days ago, uh, down about 3.14%, uh, actually a, a little bit more. Um, so there is an opportunity to buy right now. All right, so that's one place you put your money. Another AI play you're looking at, that's Marvell Technology, a chip maker. Um, why invest in that right now, especially after what we heard from NVIDIA yesterday? Kind of a mixed report. It's, it's lower on guidance, but they made it clear. They think sales are going to be lower in China, but it's going to be higher growth everywhere else. So we're long-term investors, right? So we're not just investing for uh, this quarter or next quarter. Uh, we we really strongly believe in AI. And of course, you know, Marvell Technologies uh, makes the, the equipment, right? The chips to, to, to build AI. When we look from a pricing perspective, it's up over 47% year-to-date. Um, but again, down 4% in the past five days, a little opening. All right, your last one. You're playing a little bit of Santa. The first two were on your nice list. They're getting toys and everything they want. I am. You got one on your naughty list. It's Delta yes. Airlines on a day when a lot of people are traveling. Oh. So basically you're saying you would not buy this one. You're staying away from it. Why? So we own Delta and Frank, um, you know, it, it is on my naughty list. I hope it has an opportunity to come off of the naughty, of the naughty list and go on to the nice list. Uh, you know, Delta revamped their loyalty program. Uh, months ago, and um, all of their, uh, you know, loyal customers were up in arms. Um, competing airlines basically offered for uh, to to kind of like match status uh, if if their current loyalty members were to kind of come over. Um, and so, you know, on typically we do like Delta, but um, you know that that move was really detrimental, and we're seeing that in the stock price. Uh, they did walk it back a little bit. We're not quite sure if that's going to be enough. We'll see next year. Uh, the stock okay. is down almost fourteen uh, percent in the past three months. So right now it's on the naughty list. All right, Tiffany McGee, your picks: C three AI and Marvell Technology. Great to see you. Enjoy the holiday. Thank you very much. Happy holidays, Frank. Thanks. All right, one more quick look at the futures before we let you go on this Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Taking a look at futures, uh, the Dow hitting its highs of this morning, all three indices in the green. We're going to leave it there. You guys have a great holiday. we got Squawk Box coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Too smart for your trading app? Tired of brokers made for beginners? Then it's time you get serious. It's time you join Tasty Trade, the tools and tech you need for a tough market, plus low and capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more, all in one place. If you trade anywhere else, you're missing out. 
Join the club, genius. Visit TastyTrade.com. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA, NFA, and SIPC.